Good morning. Turn with me to the book of First Kings, chapter 10. As our brother Malcolm stated, we're going through Kings and Chronicles. And um, this morning's allotted portion is First uh, Kings, chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. We actually have a small portion, so Lord willing, uh, I won't be too long. Lord willing. That's not funny. All right, while you're turning there, I'll actually tell you a funny story now, now that somebody's laughing at me. So as some of you guys know, I, I teach Sunday school. I teach the fifth grade class. And I was teaching the, the, the boys in that class that our Lord Jesus Christ was, John puts it this way, he's full of grace and truth. Having perfect grace and perfect truth. That's a hard thing to accomplish in a human being. To be gracious to all around us, sinners or not, yet never defiling themselves with their sins. You know, our, our, our Lord was a friend of sinners, I, I would tell my class. He sat with, with tax collectors and harlots, and, and he would dine with them. And the Pharisees would look, and when they would be gasped, and say, oh my goodness, he, he, look who he's eating with. But you see, the Lord would sit there at that table with those sinners, and would extend to them the grace and the love of God to them, but never... In the conversation, never in that dinner did their sin, their defilement, their conversation ever affect him. Perfect grace, perfect truth. Now, as I was sitting there t- teaching this to them, and I only tell you a story because he's not here. Nathaniel Bajra looks at me with this bewildered look. And he says to me, he says, did you plan that? And I said, yeah. He goes, wow, that actually makes sense. And so my prayer for you this morning is that whatever I say makes sense. <laughs> so, having shared that with you, turn with me to First uh, Kings chapter 10. Let's read the all 13 verses of this account of the Queen of Sheba. First Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now when the, que- when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, with very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that is in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. And there was nothing so difficult that the king, for the king that he could not explain, explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house he had built, the food of his table, the food on his table, and the seating of his servants, and the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and the entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit left in her. Then she said to the king, It was true the report which I heard in my own land about your, about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and and, and prosperity exceeds the fame of which I, I have heard. Happy are your men and happy are those, your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, your God, who delights in you who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. 
Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spice as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the ships of Hiram, which, were, which brought gold from Ophri, brought great quantity of almugwood and precious stones from Ophri. And the king made steps of almugwood to the house uh, for the house of the Lord and for the ho- and for the king's house. Also, harps and string instruments for singers. There never again came again such almugwood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now, now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired. Whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given to her, according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning to us. And so we find ourselves this morning in this narrative story of the Queen of Sheba. And and I want to give you a little background before we we delve into this passage. Because it's not necessarily seen here very clearly. But but this is the, the pinnacle, the peak, the climax of Solomon's reign. Solomon reigned over Israel for 40 years. If you turn the page over to the previous chapter, it tells you how he had finished the, the house of the Lord. He had finished his palace. And, and it was in the 20th year in which the Lord visited him again a second time. So we see he's in the middle of his reign. And in the middle of his reign, we had the greatest prosperity that Israel had ever seen. Their borders had outstretched beyond what they could imagine. It was also the, the pinnacle of the kingdom itself. Never again will Israel be so affluent. Never again will Israel have such a large kingdom. Never again will Israel have such a testimony worldwide. So it's an important thing to consider as we read these words. That when, when, when we look at, at Jewish history through the Old Testament, that Solomon stands there at the very center, at the peak of all things. Because after Solomon, it all kind of goes downhill. And that's not to say that the Lord uh, doesn't redeem and doesn't try to work with Israel. In fact, there was many revivals after Solomon. But never, never have we, will we see the prosperity in Israel like we saw, we'll, we'll see here in Solomon. So we see Solomon here. Solomon was a great man. He was a great man because the Lord gave him a wonderful gift. And we, we all remember the story, right? It was covered a couple weeks ago. The Lord asked Solomon, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon asked for the wisdom to rule over his people. And it pleased the Lord to see the heart of this man. And not only would he give him wisdom, but he would give him prosperity and peace around him. And and, and the most beautiful thing I find that after he receives all this wisdom, the, the, the first thing he sets out to do is to build the house of God. Talk about true wisdom, right? There's where true wisdom lies. When Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. There is played out in, in, in the life of Solomon to a T. When the Lord indwells him with this, this special heart, there was no other man like Solomon, it says. His reputation was renowned. 
And yet he sets out to build the temple, the house of the Lord. And so Solomon finishes the temple, but he consecrates the temple. He, it's a wonderful passage. Our brother David, my brother, my brother David, and our brother David covered that passage. How he consecrated the temple, and the Lord put his stamp of approval on that temple. And he indwelt, and he says, "My name will lie there." And, and, and Solomon would, would cry to the people, say, "Listen, when you pray, you pray towards this temple because the Lord will hear you. His name is there. His presence is there." And we see the, the, the rise of Solomon and the character of Solomon. And we get to this passage of Queen of Sheba. After 20 years of Solomon reigning, and the wisdom that the Lord had bestowed upon him had been disseminated throughout the kingdom, and the things he would institute, the buildings he would build, and the commerce he would bring, he would have a fleet that would live in the Mediterranean Sea and they would, it, would, it would go across the Mediterranean Sea all the way as far as Spain, we read, to bring commerce. And then he had another fleet of ships in the Red Sea. And they would travel south to the city of Ophri, which, which we read a little bit about. Now, Ophri is thought to be there when the, where, where, where the mouth of the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden meet. And it was a, it was a trade post. And a lot of the spices that came from India all ended up at Ophri. And all the wealth that come from the east would, would, would stop at this port. And Solomon would do business with this town, Ophri. You know what nation the city of Ophri was in? Ethiopia. The Queen of Sheba ruled Ethiopia. And you can imagine the testimony of this man would come. She would hear from all these merchants, these merchants from the north, and, and how they would come and they would do business and they would do fair business and honest business. And they would be wealthy, they would be well dressed, they would be polite. And the fame of the kingdom of Israel, the fame of Solomon would begin to permeate the ends of the earth, as Matthew would put it. And she would hear of the wisdom of Solomon. How, I love the way the Word of God puts it. She heard of the famous Solomon concerning what? The name of the Lord. You see, when a monarch sits upon a throne and sits upon his power, it's always about the monarch and who he is or who she is and what he or she has done. But Solomon stood in amazing wisdom, in amazing intellect. And it was not because of Solomon, but because of the name. Of the Lord. And we have this testimony being disseminated throughout the world. And the Queen of Sheba hears this and contemplates it. And, and, and I imagine she was a, an intelligent woman herself with many questions, with many difficult questions. We all have questions, don't we? This world has many hard questions. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Well, why is there suffering in this world? Why are the. The questions go on and on and on. And yet, people in the world try, try to grope and grasp for, for an answer. And many never find it. And yet, she heard of the fame of Solomon. You know, there's a great lesson there for us. Those who are believers. 
to, to, to walk upon this earth with such a testimony. You see, one of the things I, I, I guess I feel because I'm, I'm going 100 miles an hour here, is Solomon to us is a, is, a, is, a, is a type or an image of Christ. In fact, the New Testament puts it, Christ is actually greater than Solomon. Right? Matthew puts it that way. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we walk upon this earth, and we, and we all have jobs. We all have go to school. We all, we all have some type of sphere of influence. And I ask you, and I ask myself, sincerely, what testimony do you give? What testimony do you give? When people look at you, when people look at your character, when people look at your work ethic, what do they see? See, Titus chapter 2, verse 10 puts it this way. There, Titus is speaking to the, to the slaves, to the servants, to, to, to those who are laboring to, for masters. He says, listen, not with pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Now, listen, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Did you catch that? That you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Saints, I tell you, if we had the testimony that these merchants did, it, 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 it would show. When people look at you at work, do they say, oh, that's a Christian, man. That's a guy you can rely on. There's something different about that guy. And I tell you, if that is true in your life, and if that is what you're portraying, I will tell you, they will come to you with the hard questions. I hope that doesn't scare you. They will come to you when things are difficult. They will come to you and ask you to pray for them. You know, sometimes we, 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 we overthink evangelism sometimes. And, and we, we say, if only we, we implemented this system. If only we did advertisements. Only if we did X, Y, Z. Saints, I tell you, the most effective advertisement the most effective evangelism is an obedient life. Is an obedient life. Back to the Queen of Sheba. So there she had all these questions in her heart. And she hears of one who can give her the answer. And she sets it in her heart to go find this man, Solomon, to find this King Solomon and, and to ask him. And she gathers together a large caravan, a large retinue, a, a large entourage. And she brings with herself many of the riches of her land, many of the wonderful spices of her region and those who get imported, much gold, much precious stones. And she gets on camelback and treks north. 1,200 miles to Jerusalem. 1,200 miles. Now I tell you, we're a spoiled people. We really are. I imagine that, that her journey was longer than any journey we've ever taken. If for some reason you want to go to the other side of the world, you can in about 17 hours. On a plane. She got on a camel and rode for months to get answers to her questions. And I, I, and, and I, and I propose this to your heart, and I, and, I, and, I, and I ask you to ask yourself, in your mind and in your heart, how far would you go 
to hear the answers. How far would you go? That's actually one of the things that the Lord judges Israel and will judge Israel in the end. And imagine it's gonna, he's going to judge this nation because of it. The Queen of Sheba traveled 1,200 miles by camelback to meet Solomon and his God. To get answers to the hard questions of life. Yet you and I, it sits on our bookshelves collecting dust. Yet in this country, it's in every hotel room. It's on a couple TV channels everywhere. It's on the radio stations everywhere. And yet this nation as a whole rejects the living God. And yet, Matthew would put it this way. In the day of judgment, there in the great white throne judgment, this woman... This lowly woman is going to stand up and be a witness against this nation, against the nation of Israel, and against those who who had the wisdom of God readily available to them and rejected them. And their mouths will be stopped. You can complain and say, oh, well, you know, I, I never go to the church meeting because, you know, it's... Oh, it's 35 minutes away. The Queen of Sheba would raise her hand. I travel 1,200 miles. You, you, you say, oh, I, I, I got too much going on. She says, I was a queen of a nation. And I left to go find the answers. She stands as a witness against every heart of what one does to find the truth. There she stands, a witness against the nations, and she will, as a testimony of our lack of faith and our lack of desire to to know the living God. Saints, it's a stark warning for us believers. I I think of that passage there in Matthew 11 and Matthew 12. The the Lord is, 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 is crying out. He said, listen, Capernaum. Listen, it's, it's going to be worse for you than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah, he would say. For if such wonderful works were done in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, guess what? They would have believed. Yet the, the town of Capernaum would see the Lord heal. And, 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 and the blind would see. The leper would be cleansed. And time and time again, and they would just... It's just another Tuesday. Oh, it's just Jesus. It meant nothing to them. And I I keep belaboring this point, saints, because we live in a nation where there is so much revelation. There is so much truth. And yet, we shrug it off. I I speak of myself. I I sit in the pews that you sit. I stand uh, uh, under the sound of God's word week after week. And I listen to it. it. It excites me at times. It convicts me at times. But I'll be honest with you. A lot of times, it falls on deaf ears. And I walk away unchanged. Indifferent. How could that be? How could that be? Our Lord, we were reminded this morning, our Lord is in our presence. Sometimes we, we, we take things so lackadaisical. 
The reality of the living God is here. He would tell the Pharisees, listen, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is before you and you don't know it. It is true today. It is true today. Saints, I, I, I pray for myself and I pray for you, Lord, that, that, that we do not walk away from these things, that we would not walk away from his word unchanged. Our brother Malcolm was, was teaching the, 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 the youth group this Friday, and he, and he talked about well, what is the middle verse of Psalms, or the middle verse of the entire Bible. Who, who can tell me what it is? Somebody, middle, somebody in the youth group should know this. What is the middle verse of the entire Bible? All right, brother, they won't listen to you, brother. Not, not 119, no. 118 what? 118A. And what does it say? I'll turn to it because I don't want to, I don't want to, mis, I don't want to uh, misquote it here. 118.8 says this. Now listen. This is, this is the middle verse. The middle verse of the, of the Bible. 118.8 says this. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Did you catch that? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And, and saints, I tell you, from my own personal life, I live a life, 90% of the time, trusting in myself. Trusting in my abilities. Trusting in what I can do. And forgetting that the Lord sustains me. The Lord holds my breath in His hands. The Lord owns me. He's redeemed me. He's given me a new life. I don't live for myself, or I should not live for myself. We should live a life obedient to Him. I'm sorry, I, I went too long on that point. <laughs> and so she traveled. She traveled those 1,200 miles. And, and, and she, she traveled, and she got there, and she brought the gifts and so forth, and she went to Solomon's presence. And, 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 and I love it the way she went. She, she went to Solomon and asked her all that was in her heart. All that was in her heart. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the world has a lot of questions in their hearts. Have a lot of difficult questions in their hearts. And the only one that can answer those questions is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the only place you could find those answers is in His Word. Yet, but the world, like I said, would, would, would seek elsewhere. And she looked, and she questioned, and she questioned him. And I imagine she, she would sit there at, 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 in his presence and, and would ask one question after the other. And, and praise be to God, there's Solomon in the wisdom of, of God the Father would answer one question after the other. And her, her amazement grew. And, her, and in her heart, the questions of her heart were being fulfilled. And there was no question she asked that he could not answer. That could not satisfy, satisfy the longing in her heart. It's interesting. She came and asked all that was in her heart. And then her eyes were open, it says, and she looks. She observes and looks. And she saw the wisdom of, of Solomon, it says, and the glory of his house and the riches of his table. Saints, I, 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 I pause here to, to point something out to you. She had all these questions in her heart. 
And when she, she, she came to Solomon, she came to the one who symboled for us Jesus Christ. He answered all that she had. She answered all the questions in her heart. And she looks and she sees of the wisdom that he had. She looks upon the house he had built, the house of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And she looks upon all the blessings. And it says she was left without breath. There was no spirit left in her. Saints, I tell you, as we walk this earth, as we walk this earth as believers, as as born-again believers, do we portray those things? The wisdom of God and not the foolishness of men. Do we exemplify the glory of the Lord? And do we exemplify his blessing towards his people? For again, I tell you, if those three things are true in our hearts and in our lives, people are going to see that. The unbelieving world are going to see that. And they're going to come to you and they're going to ask. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15 says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Saints, to a, to a believer who is walking closely with the Lord and he's, he's portraying Jesus Christ in his life, and he walks upon this earth, and, and people see that there's something different about this guy. He doesn't, or this girl, he doesn't live for the temporal things. He doesn't make the same silly mistakes that we do. There's some wisdom behind that. He doesn't seem to change, change the, the trinkets of this world and waste their time and money on this. But there seems to be a better purpose for them. And they look to see that there's, there's, a, there's a nobility about the individual. There seems to be a grace about the individual. A kindness. A godly grace about them. And they look at them and see their blessing. Now, I want to, I want to paraphrase, I want to stop there and, and, and qualify that. I'm not saying that if we follow the Lord and, and we're, we're good believers, that the Lord will bless us with riches. Blessings are not necessarily money, even though it could be. But you see, this world can look at a believer's life, whether they have money or not, and see a godly family, a godly wife that loves the husband, and a husband that loves his wife and is faithful to each other. And godly children who fear the Lord, who are polite, who are kind, who are generous. Oh, what a blessing that is. The world will look at you and say, there, there's something wrong with you. They'll look at you and say, you're not the normal. And we're not. Oh, that the world may see the glory of the Lord through us. And so she looks and sees the bounty of his table. You know, I can go on and on about the blessings of the Lord. If you're a believer this morning, you are blessed. We read in, in, in we're studying in, in Ephesians chapter 1, by the way, on Wednesday nights. And there at the beginning of Ephesians, those who are believers are blessed with all spiritual blessings. In the heavenlies. We're a blessed people, aren't we? We're a blessed people. It says, he, she also observes the seating of his servants. And, and that's a beautiful thought. The seating of his servants. Well, could you imagine? Here's this, this queen. 
And she's used to the, 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 the monarchs of this world, how they're all, all about themselves, all about what they want. And how they stand high above everybody else and everybody's beneath them. And they stand upon the backs of the people. <coughs> and here is Solomon. And she's amazed at the place of his servants. I, I, my, my mind was drawn to, to, to their story of Mephibosheth. There, when King David would, would look to, to seek to, to bless the family of Jonathan, is there anybody left from the house of Jonathan? Oh, yes, there is one. But he's lame. He's not good for much. He can't walk. When he was young, he got dropped in both his legs. He, he needs to be carried around. And he calls him upon, he calls Mephibosheth to his presence, and he would say, Mephibosheth, I want you to come and dine at my table. Never will you eat anywhere else, but you'll eat at my table with me, with my family, as my son. And Mephibosheth would cry out, what have you with a dead dog like me? Useless to society, yet honored by the king. And I imagine Solomon grew up with this man, Mephibosheth, this lame man at his table. And would see the testimony of his father. And would do the same to his servants. Saints. The Lord takes sinners like you and I, wretched, filthy sinners, and makes us sons of God and daughters of God. And we will feast at his table. We will sit at his table as a son and daughter of God. You see, his reign is not like anybody else's reign. In the book of Revelation there, after the 144,000, that great multitude, it says that his tabernacle was Amongst all of them. You see, the Lord stands upon His throne, but He's not standing high above His throne where He looks down upon everyone, but He spreads His glory upon everybody. Oh, what a difference it was. And you can see the Queen of Sheba just taking this all in, and she's just flabbergasted. She looks at the servants and their apparel. And much can be said about the apparel. I mean... Isaiah 61 puts it this way, and I I won't belabor that point, but I will quote this because it's a beautiful verse. Isaiah 61 says this of the believer. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he had clothed me with a garment of salvation. And he has covered me with robes of righteousness. Saints, I, I tell you, those who are born again, those who who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that their sins are removed and they were put upon Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ were put upon Him. And we're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the, and the Queen of Sheba would look upon this and she would marvel at the beauty of the apparel. And lastly, she marvels at the entryway to the house of God. I won't say too much about this, but to point this out. According to archaeologists, Solomon built a bridge from his palace directly to the west gate of the temple there in Jerusalem. And I imagine the Queen Yeshiva would look upon this, and here is this monarch, here is this king, that he would spend the time to build a, a 350-foot bridge 
spend the time and money to build a bridge from his palace directly to the temple of God. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? That speaks volumes to our heart. For you see, there in Psalm, what that told her was the important thing in Psalm's life was the Lord, the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get to as quickly as he could to the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to have to climb down the valley, go through the gate, go up the steps to the... No, he wanted to go as straight as he could. And I tell you, do we live our lives that way? Keeping the Lord as close as we can? Do we build our lives in that way? It's an interesting thought. Do we build our lives in in such a way that, that our Lord seems to be the first place? Seems to be the preeminent thing? Or is all other things more important? She saw all these things. She observed all these things. And her spirit. There was no spirit left in her. Now moving very quickly. We see her confession. We see her confession. She cries out. Solomon says, Solomon, the report that I heard in my land, the report that the, that the merchants brought me is true. Was absolutely true. But she goes on a little bit further, doesn't she? It's actually greater than, than it was told to me. Now, I, I tell you this. How often are you told something, a story, per se, right? And you hear it, and it's a great story. And, and often when you then finally go to the source of the story and you hear the story, how often does it let you down? You go, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as embellished as the person who told me the story, right? Uh, almost always uh, uh, us sinful people, when we tell a story, we, we like to make it sound good, so we embellish it a little bit, make it sound interesting. Not so with the testimony of Solomon. Not so... For the, the merchants would tell of Solomon. And when she comes and beholds the wisdom of Solomon and, and the glory of his house and the blessings, and she says, it's all true and more. And I tell you, saints, when, when, we, when, we, when we point people to Jesus Christ, words cannot express who he is. Words cannot express who he is and what he is. We point people to Jesus. And I tell you, until that person comes themselves to the cross and repents and experiences salvation for free? Will they get to know the living God and they themselves will know, oh, Jesus Christ is far greater than you made Him to be. He's so much better. He's so much gooder, if that's a word, than you made Him out to be. And that is true. Is it not? That is true. She says, I came and I saw with my own eyes. Friend, I I I tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're not born again this morning, I ask you to come and see for yourself. To come to Jesus and see for yourself the hard questions, the things that are in your heart. He has an answer for them. He has an answer for them. You know, I will share this story, and, and, and I will shortly close after that. You know, th- this, this past week there was that horrific earthquake in Ecuador. And th- th- there came out a story of a man who was trapped in a hotel. His name was Alonzo. I forget his last name. 
But this man was trapped in a tiny little hole, enough to where his body can sort of stretch out. He says that when it happened, it all went black. He blacked out and he woke up and he was in this tiny hole. He checked himself and nothing was broken and he was okay. And so he began to cry out for help. He cried out for help for hours. And then he remembered, oh, I have a cell phone. And he, and he took his cell phone out and he looked, and there was no service. He couldn't call anybody. So he would turn off the cell phone thinking, okay, I'm going to save the battery, and, and hopefully I, it'll turn back on, and, and, and there'll, be, there'll be service. And so one day would go by, and he's sitting there in darkness in this hole, and he'd cry out for help. And occasionally he'll hear some machinery, and he cries out for help. And no one would hear him. One day would go by. Two days would go by. And no one would hear his help. The man would say it was a miracle of God. He would stop and he would begin to pray. He was not a religious man. He didn't believe in God. But he began to pray to the living God. And he would pray, Lord, I do not want to die. I do not want to die. I want to be rescued. And he cried to his God creator. And he says he took out his phone and turned it on, and there was cell service. He called his wife and told him, listen, I'm still down here. Get somebody to come help. And they got him out. And he's testifying there on the news. It was a miracle of God. I, I tell you, friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I tell you, there's no one else to cry to. This man stood in a hole. He could not cry to, to atheism. He could not cry to Buddha. He could not cry to God. But he could only cry to the only living God. He's the only one that has power to do anything, to change hearts, to redeem souls. She came and saw herself. The half that had not been told. The Lord put it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You see, the Lord cries out to the nations, cry out to all people and all tribes. Listen, I know you're burdened with your, with your, your sin and the guilt and the conscience of it. I know you're burdened with life itself and the emptiness of it. Come to me. I have the answers, he says. Come to me and I will relieve you of that weight. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. The Lord will remove that burden of sin and free you from the bondage of sin. And he says, listen, sometimes people think, oh, the Christian life, oh, that, that Christian life, it's all rules and regulations. I, I, I can't do this. I can't eat that. I can't do it. Listen, it's no burden. The Lord says, listen, you, you, you take my yoke upon you. And it says, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You see, that can't be said about the burden of sin and hell and the devil. But it, be, it could be said about the burden of our Lord. Why, why is the burden gentle? Why is the burden lowly at heart? You know, a lot of times I've heard people expound upon this passage. They would say that, that, that you know, a yoke is this, is this brace that would go around the oxen. And, and, and the Lord would be one and you would be the other and the Lord would help you walk across. But I, I, I don't like that. 
See, the, the Lord is, is not under anybody's yoke. The Lord is the one, the most important person, the one driving the yoked animal, isn't he? He's the one guiding you. Why is it a, a, a gentle and lowly at heart? Because he's the one behind you. He's the one encouraging you. He's the one strengthening you as you walk this earth. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So I leave you with that this morning, brothers and sisters. We serve a marvelous God, don't we? We sing, we sing that hymn from time to time. The half had not been told me along the golden shores. We sit, we sit every Sunday morning and we, and, and we remember the Lord. And, and, so, and some meetings are so wonderful that our hearts are exalted to, to the presence of the Lord himself. And, and, and we're, we're overjoyed by the meeting sometime. And we get a taste of heaven. And we say, it's wonderful. So much there. And I tell you, when we get to heaven and our eyes will be open. We won't have words to explain it. Like the Queen of Sheba, the hath had not been told. The goodness of our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the one who is greater than Solomon, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom. For read that the wisdom of God is in Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, that if anyone's here that does not know you personally, as our personal Savior. That the, the, if there's anyone here that carry, is still carrying their burden, thinking that, that they're going to, to somehow work their way to heaven, to work their way to your presence, Lord, show them, the, show them of the folly of their ways, Lord. There's only one way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Father, I help, uh, help us, Lord, who are your children, Help us, Lord, to not walk away from the, your word unchanged. Help us, Lord, to have a, refresh, a, a, a fresh view of who you are, of your goodness, of your kindness, Lord. And help us live lives accordingly. Lord, I ask all these things in such precious name. Amen.